I'm happy to greet each of you in the name of the Lord Jesus this morning. The one that we want to adore and hold up. Even as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And that's our desire this morning. It's good to be here uh, with you. We count a privilege to worship with you today. It's good to be with Galen and Colleen. Um, it seems like a couple months ago, a couple years ago, when he was dating, he came to our place more than he does now. I don't know if there's a relationship struggle or problem going on, but no, Galen, I did the same thing. It's good to look out and see a bunch of familiar faces this morning. Before we came this weekend, uh, there was several sermons uh, running through my mind, uh, and I don't know how Brother Leon or Brother Gerald or Brother Rich, I don't know how they do it uh, when they go into a, a, a different area and you think you might preach. So I tucked three sermons neatly in my Bible as possible candidates for this morning's message. And yesterday I woke up and it, it kind of reminded me of the situation where Samuel was to go to anoint one of the sons of, of Jesse. And God said, not this one, not this one, not this one. And that's kind of the way I felt about the sermons that I had tucked in my Bible. So the sermon this morning uh, is another one I feel like God has laid on my heart and Brothers and sisters, to those of you who have accepted Jesus as your personal Savior and Lord, we have, you and I have entered a betrothal period. That's the time between the engagement and the actual marriage, the wedding. And I ask you, are you, am I, ready for the groom to return to receive his bride? Are your garments spotless and clean? You know, we recognize that when we accept Jesus as our personal Savior, those garments are clean. But brothers and sisters, it takes something to keep them, to remain spotless, to be ready for the Lord's return. It could be possible also in a crowd like this this morning that there could be someone here that is not ready for the Lord's return. Jesus opens his arms. The day of grace is still available today. The title on the text this morning comes from Acts chapter 1, verse 11. The title of the message this morning is This Same Jesus. I'd like to read verses 9 to 11. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing, looking up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven." Maybe part of the reason that I chose to uh, choose, uh, preach this sermon this morning is, Richard, you didn't know you was part of this equation. When we left Friday, uh, 
we was part the way down here and Richard said, I think I'm going to get a USA Today. On the USA Today in one of the uh, back sections, a full page ad of Judgment Day, May 21, 2011. Any of you heard of that? So, Richard, you're part of the equation this morning. I understand that there was a man named Harold Camping, an 89-year-old evangelical broadcaster who was predicting judgment as of yesterday uh, on 66 different radio stations, and they had rented out 2,000 billboards all over the United States telling people that yesterday was the day of judgment. I understand after it passed, um, on Saturday there were some atheists. Um, also, there was 30 languages. They, they, this message was shared in 30 languages worldwide. And on Saturday there were some atheists who held celebrations and get-togethers to mark the failure of Mr. Camping's failed prediction. And in Oakland... Over 200 people gathered at an atheist convention and they joked about the prediction and they sold jewelry that said, good without God. So there's a lot of scoffers in our world today. But I want to tell you, Jesus is coming again. When? Don't ask me for, because I can't tell you. But I believe what he says is true. And I propose to you, brothers and sisters, it's not so much what we say, but rather how we live that proves what we believe about the imminent return of Christ. You know, I can, I can stand up here and preach a message that will reach your ears, but I do not have the ability that the message penetrate your heart. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today and we thank you for your greatness. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your plan of salvation long before the earth was formed. And we thank you that Jesus committed to come. He was a lamb slain before the foundation of the world. We thank you that in the goodness of time, Jesus came and he lived his life, shed his blood, and was killed, and he went back, resurrected, and he has promised to come again. Give us a vision of our soon-returning Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. As people view your life, as they view my life, what are they seeing about your goals, your ambitions, your agenda? What would they say about your life? Would they say that that person's rather selfish? They are viewing things from a temporal perspective. Or would they say that person loves the body of Christ? What do people say about you as they view your life?
I'd like to look. I did share this message several weeks ago in a home congregation uh, on Easter Sunday. I would like to consider a little bit the futility of man to prevent the resurrection. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 27. I guess I don't seem very old. I know I have gray hair, but uh, I have learned that uh, it's probably best to just be out in the open. We had one brother in Sunday school, Sunday school teacher this morning that requested prayer, and I appreciated that. I feel a little bit nervous this morning, so I just might as well tell you, you maybe you already know it, but you you can pray for me that the message can get through. But let's look at the a little bit the futility of man to prevent the resurrection. From Matthew 27, verse 62 to 28.6. Now the next day that followed the day of the preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees came together unto Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember that that deceiver said while he was yet alive, after three days I will rise again. Command, therefore, that the sepulcher be made sure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night, steal him away, and say unto the people, He is risen from the dead, so that the last era, excuse me, shall be worse than the first. Pilate said unto them, You have a watch. Go your way. Make it as sure as you can. So they went and made the sepulcher sure, sealing the stone and setting watch. In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning, and his raiment white as snow, and for fear of him the keepers did shake and become as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus." which was crucified, he is not here, for he is risen, as he said, come and see the place where the Lord lay. The futility of man to prevent the resurrection. Make it as sure as you can. Tremendous power. And I don't think I'm going to spend a lot of time on on that point. I'd like to move to the second point. And this is where Jesus provides evidence for the resurrection. Let's look at Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach, until the day in which he was taken up, after that he through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles which he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. It seemed like the disciples were slow in understanding what Jesus tried to teach them about his death and resurrection. Notice in verse 3, Jesus appeared to the disciples many times over the 40 days to prove that his prophecy was true. He appeared to them. Uh, The first time, you remember, Thomas wasn't with them. And eight days later, Jesus appeared, uh, and Thomas was with them. And when Jesus showed them the infallible proofs, what was his response? Somebody tell me. I I like a small congregation. I like a little response. 
So, what did Thomas say when Jesus showed him the proof of the resurrection? Thank you, my Lord and my God. In John 20, verse 30, it also talks about other things. And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. So Jesus went out of his way to prove himself that he was real and the things that he taught were were coming to pass. And then you know the account in John 21, Peter decided to go fishing. And remember, they spent a night of futility and they didn't catch anything. And Jesus said, cast your net over on the other side and ye shall find. And you know the results. That's what happened. And you know, brothers and sisters, I think there's a spiritual lesson and parallel here. I ask you, are you sometimes frustrated with results? Ever? I am. Is it that we do things on our own power, under our own initiative? Maybe that's why we're frustrated. Maybe we need to pray and seek God's direction. Uh, Brother Greg, I think, shared this morning that the battle is the Lord's. We cannot do it. We need to seek God, seek His direction. And you know the results. I think they caught 153 fish, and yet the nets didn't break. Doing it God's way with His power brings tremendous results. Acts 21 verse 14 says, This is now the third time that Jesus showed Himself to His disciples after that He was risen from the dead. And I'd like to ask you, do you think that Jesus is any less interested today in proving Himself to sincere seekers? You believe in God? I believe He desires to manifest Himself to you. Are you a sincere seeker? Hebrews 11, verse 6. Is this verse for you? Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. But without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of who? Thank you. I like your response. God's word's true. If you diligently seek God, I believe he wants to manifest himself to you. I'd like to move on to the third point of the message this morning. I'd like to call this Lessons from the Emmaus Road Experience. I invite you to Luke chapter 24. This is just a little bit longer. Maybe I'm using a little more verses than I use sometime, but should I apologize to read God's word to you? I hope not. Let's look at Luke 24, verses 13 to 32. You know this account, but I think it's good for us to consider it and remember it again. And behold, two of them that went the same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem about three score furlongs. I think that was about seven miles. Had a good bit of time to talk if you walked seven miles, wouldn't you? And they talked together of all these things which had happened. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were holding that they should not know him. And he said unto them, What manner of communications are these that ye have one to another as ye walk and are sad? Jesus saw their countenance. And the one of them which 
whose name was Cleopas, answered and said unto him, or Cleopas, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem, and hast thou not known the things which are come to pass in these days? And he said unto him, What things? And they said unto him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed should have redeemed Israel, and beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. Yea, and certain women also of the company made us astonished, which were early at the sepulcher. And when they had found his body, they came, I'm sorry, and when they found not his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels, which said that he was alive. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulcher and found it even as so the women had said, but him they saw not. Then he said unto them, O fools and slows of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them and all the scriptures the things concerning himself. I'd like to have set in on that, wouldn't you? And they drew nigh to the village, whither they went, and he made as though he would have gone further. But they constrained him. What kind of desire do you have? What they say, abide with us. Stay with us. Continue speaking. For it is toward evening and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them. He honored their request. And it came to pass as he sat at meat with them, he took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they knew him and he vanished out of their sight. And they said one to another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way and while he opened to us the scriptures? I'd like to consider several lessons that we can learn from this Emmaus Road experience. Number one, in verse 15, Jesus drew near to them and to their experience. I'd like to make some parallels. In your experience, in your Emmaus Road experience, Jesus desires to draw near to you and to your experience. Verse 21, it seemed that Jesus' death did not fit their preconceived ideas. Verse 21 said, But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. It seemed what happened did not fit their preconceived ideas. They were looking for physical deliverance, not spiritual deliverance. Verses 27 and 28, thirdly, Jesus comforted them with his presence and with the word. And I believe Jesus desires to do that today. In verse 29 and 32, notice that sincere seekers were rewarded. He said, why don't you go along and let's go along and you can continue speaking to him. Jesus act like he was going on. No, they asked him and Jesus honored their request. And I say that sincere seekers are always rewarded. Now, in our congregation, we have a good many people right now that are going through some physical suffering. We have a very young child that has cancer. We have another older lady that just recently 
found out she has cancer. We have an older man. Uh, we have some people on the Emmaus Road. And brothers and sisters, I don't know you, but we do have one brother in the Sunday school class. I don't know what all he's going through in his family, but he was willing to open up. And I say that's commendable. Are you willing to swallow a little of your pride and acknowledge you have needs in your life? Are you? I think God will be honored and praised and desire to manifest himself to you. And I believe that God often works through brothers and sisters in the church. If there's a need, often, that a brother or sister will meet that need as directed by the Holy Spirit. So I don't know what you may be going through here. I don't know your congregation very well, but I would suspect that there are some here that are on the Emmaus Road. Maybe your faces are downcast. And Jesus is pulling up alongside. Remember the account where Jesus was out, the disciples Jesus turned the disciples loose and they began to go across the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus said he saw them, if I remember right, straining at the oars. Do you have anybody here this morning that are straining at the oars? Jesus saw and he went out. Interesting, at the fourth watch of the night, I think it was. What was it? Very, very early. It was late night. Jesus saw them. Very good. Jesus can do that. We can't. Not at that time of night. But he went out. And he ministered to their need. And Jesus can see you if you're straining at the oars. And he wants to minister to your need. Are you willing to acknowledge it? Are you willing to ask for somebody for prayer? Are you willing to swallow a little pride? I don't think I'm going to turn to it, but some of my favorite verses are Isaiah chapter 43, verses 1 to 4a. Maybe I should. I might give it wrong. We were looking at Isaiah. Brother Dan took us to Isaiah already. And I love this, this passage, Isaiah 43. But now thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by thy name. Thou art mine. What identity, what protection you have there. When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. Seems like sometimes when we're going through the Emmaus experience or whatever it is, it seems like there's nobody. Where, where is someone to help me? Claim these verses. When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. Jesus said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you, didn't he? And through the rivers... They shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned. Neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. For I am the Lord thy God. I am thy Savior. Verse 4. Since thou wast precious in my sight, thou hast been honorable. I have loved thee. I like my co-pastor's definition of the word through. You go through the fire. You go through the water. What does that mean? That means in one side, out the other. Jesus won't abandon you in the middle of your storm, will he? In one side, out the other. Looks pretty bleak, maybe tunnel vision for a while. In one side, out the other. <clears throat> what kind of power, what kind of protection is available through the Lord? I'm not going to turn to this passage, 
but I think it's uh, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. What is God able to do? He is able to do what? Exceeding abundantly above what? Think too. It's God's word. It's not mine. There's power. Claim it. I wrote this down in my notes. Brothers and sisters, what do you and I do when we go through the Emmaus Road experience? I want to tell you, brothers and sisters, it's a whole lot easier to get up here to preach this sermon than it is to live it. I can preach this sermon to you, but brothers, I'm a preacher with needs too. We face things. In fact, we are in the, in the future. Am I willing to pick up and claim these things that I'm speaking about? Brothers and sisters, that's a challenge. Verse 13 of our Emmaus Road experience, Jesus recognized their disappointment. It was evident to him. And I would suggest to you that discouragement can blind us from the presence of the Lord. Do you believe that? Discouragement can blind us from the presence of the Lord and from seeking the comfort of His Word. Let's be careful. Let's shift the focus from the situation to the one who can make a difference. What is that difference? Let's look at Acts chapter 17, verse 27. Acts 17, verse 27, that they should seek the Lord if happily they might feel after Him and find Him, though He what? Though He be not far from you. Though He be not very far from you. Sometimes we feel alienated. We feel deserted. The Bible says, though He be not far from you. I do say it is easier to preach it than it is to live it. Galatians 6, verse 2. Galatians 6, verse 1. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, lest what? Lest ye also be tempted. And what's verse 2? Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. It reminds me, and some time ago I was in Sixth Street Mission in Pennsylvania, and there was a little saying there that I like. It said, happiness is like jam. When you share it with others, you can't help but get some on yourself. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. The last part of the message, Jesus is coming again. If I was asked to ask you to write a paragraph or a concise statement of your faith and what you believe, how would you, how would you write it? How would you write that in one concise paragraph? I found the Apostles' Creed to be one such statement. It goes something like this. I believe in God, the Father, Almighty Creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. On the third day, he rose from the dead. 
He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, from whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. That talks about Jesus is coming again. He's coming to judge the living and the dead. I believe the Holy Ghost, the general Christian church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. I don't know what how you would write your statement, but I thought that was a good one. What about the prophecy of the Lord's return? We looked in Acts 1, verses 6 to 11. I'm not going to read all those verses again. But this is the prophecy that came through the angels. Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven, this same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. And I don't know when that time is, but we need to be preparing for that time. What do you believe about the Lord's imminent return? Maybe the better question is, how are you living? Let's move on then to what are the conditions prior to his return? What are the conditions? Let's look, let's look at Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24, verses 3 to 13. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming? And the end of the world. And the first thing that Jesus said is, Take heed that no man deceive you. Brothers and sisters, there's a lot of deception going on in our world today. For many shall come in my name, saying, I'm of Christ and shall deceive many. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled, for these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. Are these conditions, do they sound like our world today? For nations shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. Uh, verse 9, then, they shall they, then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you, and ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. Moving on, verse 12, and because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold, but he that shall endure until the end, the same shall be saved. And I don't have a lot of time to look at these things individually, but does that sound to you like the world in which we're living? Deception is rampant. Second Timothy 4 talks about uh, some of that. And I think that is the passage where it talks about they shall heat to themselves having teachers with itching ears. I saw an article recently, and I didn't bring it along. There was a pastor, his name was Rob Bell, and he wrote a, an article in the Time magazine, and it was called, Is Hell Dead?, you know, to a lot of people, that's a pretty uh, that's a pretty interesting article, a pretty interesting thought. Is hell dead? Well, if hell was dead, well, then maybe there's no God, and then nobody has to surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Brother and sister, that's heresy. Hell's not dead. 
God's word is not dead and he is coming again. There's a lot of people that that would gravitate toward that kind of theory or thought processes is hell dead. But I don't believe it is. If you look at Mark chapter 9, where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. What about wars? There's a tremendous amount of unrest in the Middle East. What about earthquakes? You know, the earthquake and the tsunami in Japan. The way I understand that the, the epicenter of this quake and tsunami was some of the most hardened hearts or unchurched people or unbelievers that, that God, you know, I, I don't know God's mind, but it seemed like this area was targeted, and I believe God is trying to speak. There's a lot of tornadoes in the Midwest. There's floods. You can go to persecution, look at the voice of the martyr. You can find the persecution that is going on in our world today. There's a lot of apostasy and there's a lot of lukewarmness. And I don't have time. You could turn to Revelation chapter 3. You could look at 2 Timothy 3, 1 to 5. And I think I'm going to skip over those. What is the unbeliever's view of the Lord's return? Let's look at 2 Peter 3, 1 to 7. 2 Peter 3, 1 to 7. The second commandment, the second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which stir up your pure minds by the way of remembrance, that you may be mindful of the things which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of, of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers. There's a lot of scoffers in our world today. Remember when I read to you that there were people holding celebrations and get-togethers to because they were happy that this, this uh, May 21 thing didn't happen. There were people, atheists, atheist uh, gatherings that were joking about this prediction and saying it didn't happen. There's a lot of scoffers, that's what the Bible says here, walking after their own lusts. They don't want to surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, and they want to make fun of God's Word and God's people and what God has said, and saying, Where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of. They don't want to know that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. And we could could read more. Uh, But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. By default, or the sin of omission, many people reject God and His word. By default. And you know, there's, I don't believe that there are many people, churchgoers today, that would choose to partner with the scoffers. Do you? I don't think there's many church-going people today that would partner with the opinions of the scoffers. And yet I'd like to ask you a question. If we as Christians are living a loose, careless life, would we not be in the same camp? Who are the scoffers? 
Also, what is the believer's view of the Lord's return? I have several passages. I don't think I'm going to have time to look at look at all I have here. But First John three one to three. First John three one to three. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore, the world knoweth us not because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in himself, in him, purifieth himself even as he is pure. So that's the believer's view of the Lord's return. And we could turn to Revelation 22, verses 11 and 12 and 14 and 16 and 17 and 20. But I, I think I'm going to, you can, maybe that's your passage that you can look up like Brother Greg was encouraging us to do, to look further and deeper into the word. But I would like to turn to Matthew 23, thinking about the day of grace that's still open, Matthew chapter 23, verses 37 and 38. Jesus, the heart cry of Jesus. Matthew 23, 37. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chicks under her wings, and ye would not. Jesus had something to offer. And he wanted to. He had the best to offer. And he did then and he does now. And many people want to reject the offering of love, uh, the offering of help. And I say that's the heart cry of Jesus. The, trend, the tremendous love of Jesus demands a response. There are people that needed to make a decision. Initially, it requires a decision whether a person is going to accept or reject Jesus as Savior and Lord. Maybe I should say Savior. And then it also requires a later decision to receive, continue to receive him as Lord and follow his directives. Judas needed to make a decision, and he did. And he decided he'd rather have 30 pieces of silver than he would the Lord. Very very poor choice there were two thieves on the cross that on the crosses there beside Jesus that were also crucified they needed to make a decision the one on the left made a decision and there was a man that made had a change of heart and he said we are here because of the things that we have done but this man Jesus has done nothing nothing amiss and he said remember me when you come into your kingdom and Jesus said today, you're going to be with me in paradise. That man made a decision. Joseph of Arimathea made his decision as well. He jeopardized his own job, his reputation, and maybe even his life. And he begged the body of Jesus, and he identified with Jesus. How about you? Jesus is coming again, brothers and sisters. I'd like for us to bow our heads. I'd like for us to sing a verse of Search Me, O God. If there would happen to be someone here today 
who has never accepted Jesus as Savior and Lord, I'd like to give you opportunity to do that. Jesus is coming again. Are your garments unspotted? Are you ready for him to break through the clouds? Let's sing a verse of Search Me, O God, with heads bowed. Search me, O God, and know my heart today. Try me, O Savior, know my thoughts, I pray. See if there be some wicked way in me. Cleanse me from every sin and set me free. If somebody would like to come forward or like to stand or raise your hand, you're welcome to do that. If you don't, that's fine, but I'd like to sing one verse yet. I've had thine own way, Lord. And if you would like to respond, you're welcome to do that. If not, we'll close. Thank you, each one, for your attention. May the Lord bless you abundantly. Jesus is coming again. I don't know when. But may God purify our hearts as we prepare for that time. Brother Jero, I think I'm going to turn it back to you.